Gospel according to Luke. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down, and he taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm excited. And I, and I shared with you that I'm excited. And uh, uh, if you notice, last week I, I was talking about Dana. And Dana took the grace track as well. And uh, Dana decided to take it to a deeper step. Because during this grace track, Dana and I went to La Crescenta. And we went to a workshop. It was an introductory workshop for what's called Stephen's Ministry. And I want to show you their logo. And their logo is very interesting because it's a brokenness to a wholeness. And it's all about restoration. It's all about uh, Christ caring for people through people. And so when we took the workshop, Dana goes, you know, I'm really interested. And there's a, a workshop that was last week. And Dana signed up for it, took vacation time, and went to 50 hours of training to take this course to be certified to bring this ministry here at the church. And so she texts me on a Wednesday, and she says, Pastor, I have a ceremony, graduation ceremony this Friday. Can you come? And I go, and yeah, I think so. She goes, good, because I already bought your tickets. <laughs> so it's basically, she goes, you are coming, because I'm here at Orange. So, because we love Dana, we left on Friday, 4 o'clock, to Orange County. And so basically, the navigation said 41 miles, an hour and 44 minutes to get there. And I went, oh, God, I love Dana, I love Dana. <laughs> wine orange, wine orange. And so I had my wife text, me, text her on my phone, and she said, we are here. And then, and basically, we pulled in the parking lot, and she texts back, and she said, uh, if you're, when you walk into the entrance of the hotel, it was at the embassy suite, go to the left, walk to the bar, I'm sitting at the bar. I said, okay, it's been a long week. <laughs> And so we went there, and all of a sudden, I saw a group of people that she really was friends with sitting at the bar and, and, and just fellowshipping with each other. And Dana gave me a big hug, and she goes, just want to tell you, this is a liberal group, okay? And she gave me a, she gave me a hug, and she goes, I don't know where the conservatives are. And I go, okay. So I, I sat down, and Jennifer sat, 
sat down, and we started having a fellowship together. We started enjoying the, each other and getting to know one another. And I didn't realize that I was sitting in a group of the LGBT group that, that basically were in there doing their church. And I was so fascinated because my reputation then preceded me. Because I had a pastor, and I want to show a picture of her, that she came up to me and she said, you know what, I had one experience with your denomination, and it didn't go well. And she started talking to me and saying that the interpretation of Scripture, and then I met Dana. And Dana is so loving and so non-judgmental and so caring that she said that. And then I found out she was from the same denomination this other pastor was from, and I said, you've got to be kidding and so she came up to me and gave me a big hug and said, hey, I just wanted to meet you. Again, my reputation preceded me. So I gave her a big hug, and she sat back, and she goes, look, I pastor a church in Hollywood, and I am a lesbian, and I have never been loved and accepted so much except from Dana. And so I realized, and I gave her a big hug, and I go, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. And so we went in. I was invited to their table. And my wife and I went to the table. And usually when I go to a table, what I do is I, I would strategically sit myself between Dana and my wife because of the tremor. And my wife would cut my food for me. And she would drink half the drink for me. So I, because basically when I'm at these church functions, this is what happens. A lot of churches believe because I have disabilities that the reason I have disabilities is because I'm paying for the, the sin of my father and my grandfather. A lot of churches believe this, that I'm not, this is why the Lord hasn't healed. So I'm really careful about how I am among other groups of churches. But I didn't sit between them. I sat beside my wife and another and a group of people. I cut my own meat. And I was like, this is very interesting. Because you know why? I felt safe at the table. I didn't feel judged at the table. And they didn't feel judged either. And, and we are known by our disciples. We are known as disciples by our what? Our love. See, I'm finding out that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You know the difference? And so when we truly love and care for each other, the wisdom and the knowledge will come. And so when the worship began, and we were worshiping together, it was a beautiful time of worship when we're singing the songs together about the brokenness of us. And I was going, this is the kingdom of God that we realize, all of us, even if we don't believe the same thing about the word of God, that all of us are realizing that we're broken and we need to be redeemed and we need redemption. And so I was amazed where all of a sudden I was having this enlightenment on God and saying, what is important to establish the kingdom of God, to restore people in order to restore? And thank you, Dana, for allowing me to be part of this. Where because my reputation proceeded, that I was accepted into a group that would normally not accept me. You know, it's interesting that we look at this today's Old Testament and New Testament reading about enlightening calendars. And I'm going to go back and forth in the book of Isaiah and also in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, Isaiah had the 
this spectacular vision from God that changed his life that, and gave him a complete enlightening uh, and he sensed the presence of God. And here's what happens when we get an enlightening from God, that all of a sudden we get this aha moment or this epiphany from God that changes our life to the point that it redirects our actions where all of a sudden we cannot go back to what we were. We are redeemed. We are changed. In fact, if you look on the screen, once you have seen something, you cannot unsee it. You know that, right? Good or bad, you can't unsee it. And so this is because, if you look on the screen, true encounters with God enlightens us. They open our eyes to a new way of seeing things. So what did Isaiah see? Isaiah's mind was completely blown. And I keep on telling you, the word of God cracks me up. Because what was going through Isaiah and what was going through Peter was just mind-blowing. In fact, if you've ever experienced something that words cannot describe and you're trying to describe it, it's kind of funny, isn't it? You're just going, I, 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 it just was cool. It was just awesome. And so he was using the word awesome, divine majesty. And basically he's talking about being in this temple and this crazy creature with six wings that was covering his face, covering his feet, and flying with the other wings. I mean, that's mind-blowing in itself. That was saying holy, 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 and every time it said holy, 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 an earthquake would hit and the pillars would shake and smoke filled the room. How do you describe this? This is what was going on in the book of Isaiah. And so then let's switch over to Peter. Peter had this incredible enlightening encounter with Jesus. This was before he was a disciple. And he was, he was out fishing all night. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a boat all night. Not a cruise ship, but a boat. It is not good, okay? We used to own a sailboat and spend the night out there. It was, it was a little sailboat. And it was, you're just drenched with it. It's bad. So the guy, guy was up there all night trying to fish. He didn't catch squat, didn't catch anything. And so here all of a sudden Jesus is doing a teaching near the water, and all of a sudden the crowd is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and moving towards Jesus. So I'm assuming Jesus is like standing in the water now. And he's going, this is not working for him because the crowds are getting bigger. Scripture says that he saw two boats, and he summoned Peter's boat. And he said, Peter, and I go, I need to get on your boat. You need to go out to deeper water so I can finish my teaching. So the crowd wouldn't get so close to him. Not that he had this major personal space, but he was trying to teach. And so Peter goes, okay, master, I'll do it. And then after his teaching, he goes to Peter and he says, let's take the boat out farther and go fishing. Now, mind you, Jesus was a carpenter. He wasn't a fisherman. Okay? And Peter goes, are you serious? I've been out there all night. They're not biting. But whatever you want, let's do it. Have you ever done that? He's going, oh, okay, let's go. I don't, it's like you do it to your wife. When wife goes, you want you to do something? Seriously? Okay. You, you know, you don't want to deal with it. And so Peter was dealing the same thing. Peter, and he goes, throw out the nets. And I can imagine Peter, this is dumbest, lamest thing in the world. You know, I'm throwing out these nets on both sides of the boat. And then all of a sudden, what happens? It started filling up, filling up, to the point where they could not pull the fish in the boat. This is a carpenter that told him where to fish. And then he had to summon the second boat 
to get the fish because there were so many fish you couldn't fill on the first boat. So all of a sudden they pulled them on both boats and the boats began to sink because they had so much fish on them. This is how powerful it was. And so look on the screen. Sometimes God has to rip open our expectations and to sink the little boats we use in order to survive to show us that we are meant for so much more than the life that we've settled for. Peter was going, it ain't going to work. Have you ever done that? I've done this. Why am I going to apply for a new job? I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to do this. But when, man, when Jesus is in on it, oh my goodness, there's big things that we, we, we don't settle for. It's interesting how both Isaiah and Peter reacted by this overwhelming encounter with the divine. On the screen, both Isaiah and Peter seemed to be suddenly enlightened about the small way in which they were living. One definition the Bible gives us about what sin is, and I love this definition that I put on the screen, it's simply missing the mark. It's going, oh man, I missed it. I missed the mark. And that's one of the definitions of sin. Last week we talked about how God, about what godly love is. And so basically, you watch that Isaiah, when he missed the mark, and when Peter missed the mark, it's interesting the response was. Let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah says this on the screen. Woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man with unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, oh, the host. Isaiah was a prophet from God, meaning that he spoke on behalf of God. But basically, he wasn't speaking really clear on behalf of God much. In fact, he realized how small he really was and how lost he was because he failed God when it came to the prophetic word that he was supposed to speak. But also, if you look at Peter, he failed in action. He questioned what Jesus was about. He questioned himself. This is Simon Peter, and I love Simon Peter's response because Simon Peter, after Jesus filled up his boat, and you would think of the fisherman, you would go, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. We made it. Our boats are sunk in the bottom of the lake, but we, went, we did some fishing here. But look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. It's interesting. All of a sudden, they felt completely unworthy. Because both Peter and Isaiah were very small-minded, that all of a sudden they focused on the disappointment they really were instead of the learning opportunity that they had with God. Have ever done that? In fact, in Isaiah, it says that God removed his guilt. You know guilt and shame prevent us from really trusting God? You know that? If you have guilt and shame, man, God, Satan loves that kind of stuff. Because you won't do anything. Because, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm a total failure. And so let's, let's show you how God dealt with Isaiah. I, God removed the guilt, which is shame to me. And basically, he moved, he immediately took Isaiah in the smallness of what Isaiah was thinking, of his own brokenness, and moved him into this credible bigness, I would guess, the truth and love of God. And so he simply asked a question, verse 8, it's on the screen. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So basically, he was, once his guilt was removed by God, and once he released the shame, then all of a sudden he's going, send me. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to follow you. And you have to understand, to be a prophet in the Old Testament, that was a death sentence. Because it wasn't, they didn't have a good ending, the prophets. And so basically, he was so excited that God chose to move. Back on the screen, God moved quickly from dealing with Isaiah, missing the mark, to getting Isaiah's life back on target. Now let's go look at Peter. I'm telling you, I'm going back and forth here. It's similar response. He too was struggling. He too fell on his knees and said, I'm, I'm such a screw-up. Get away from me, Jesus. And this is what happens when we wallow in our sin. We stop going to church. We stop praying. We stop fellowshipping uh, with people. We just kind of go in our own thing. And then we kind of say, well, I'm bitter towards the church. I'm mad towards the church and stuff like this. This is Jesus' response. This is his response immediately. He didn't say, you stupid Peter. Why do you get off? Look what I've done. He didn't say this. This is what he said. Luke chapter 5, 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Chill out, in a sense. From now on, you will be catching people. So all of a sudden, Peter saw himself as a failure. Jesus goes, man, you're going to do some big things now for the kingdom of God. You see what I mean? How long did it take him to respond? I'll show you. This is, this is awesome. God does not seem to want to us to wallow in our sin and groveling for forgiveness. God enlightens us to the smallness of our sin to motivate us to move into the bigness of God's love and grace. So God's love and grace is much bigger than your sin. But somehow we put our sin much bigger than his love and grace. And so when we, it's always interesting when Jesus says, I forgive you, and you go, it's not worth it. I, I'm putting myself in this emotional prison myself. Dude, Jesus forgave you. Get over it, okay? Let yourself out of that emotional prison of yours. And so, so this is also important. I don't even know where I am on this screen. Oh, that's how you know we've had an enlightening encounter with God when everything immediately changes. And so here it is. Jesus saw Peter as his brother, a fellow son of God, made in God's image. He simply called out the potential in Peter. And so he looked beyond his own brokenness. He looked beyond his own mistake. He looked beyond his own sin and saw what Peter could be. And so when we're caught in Christ's net, when we hear his good news, then we are more than our sins and that we are worth redeeming. And so if we are going to follow Christ, we have to catch people. We have to catch people and see people as a potential on what they could do for the kingdom of God, not who they are or not where they are. That means we've got to get rid of our judgmental attitudes, don't we? That I'm hierarchy. I have this understanding of Scripture that my head puffs me up, and I have this understanding interpretation of Scripture. So therefore, if you don't conform into me, which is also judgmental, but man, we got to put that aside. It's important, but it should not be leading us. What should be leading us is a love for one another that we see beyond other people's brokenness because we have been redeemed as well. That we're not struggling with guilt. 
back on the screen. Catching people is about seeing God's image in others and naming it before they have seen it or named it themselves. When we begin to see each other in this way, every encounter becomes an enlightening encounter with God. Everyone we meet. You know, I, I talked to uh, Angela and the worship team months ago, and I, I, I'm weird, okay? Let me just tell you right now, my wife will write out a document and get it certified that I'm weird. I get it. I Google weird stuff. And so what was happening, I was asking Angela, where do we get the clapping from? Okay, like, for instance, you guys thought the worship where do we get, where does that come from? How are we taught to clap? What does this mean? Am I the only one that does this? And then all of a sudden, if you're better, we clap louder. And if you're really good, we stand up and clap. Then if you do the Nancy Pelosi clap like this, it whole means a whole nother thing, right? I'm learning a new whole thing of history. And so I, I'm... I'm so, so, you know, so Angela and I did the research, and we were fascinated with the research. And so I'm at the door shaking people's hands all the time. And again, in my mind, I'm going, thank you for coming to service. Thank you for coming. Hug, thank you for coming. What's with the handshaking? Then I, and then, and then so, got too much time on my hands. <laughs> I decided to look up where handshaking came from. Do you guys wonder this, or am I the only one who does this? Why our culture teaches us something what's important. It came, it came in the 5th century before Christ in Greek, in Greece. And where it was derived from was when soldiers would meet each other to show that they are unarmed, they shook each other's hand, showing that they had no weapon. That's where it was derived from. And get this, the firm handshake was just to be sure if they did not hide a weapon, it would shake out. <laughs> Didn't know that, did you? Okay? And so therefore, because I have too much time on my hands, so I, I decided, what's the Indian version of greeting? And the Indian version is very interesting. I like their version. It's basically, it's pronounced this way. It's on, this, on the screen. Namaste. You heard of that? If you do yoga, you'll understand the namaste. Well, what it means, and I put it on the screen, I bow down in the, in the divine in you. That's what it means. I bow down in the divine in you. Which basically a lot of conservative Christians go, ooh, you're saying you're God. But that's not what it is. It's acknowledging that you are created in the image of God. That's what it's acknowledging that you are created in the image of God. So I bow down in the divine in you. I see the divine in you. I don't see the flesh in you. So it's really fascinating. I see the potential. I see that you are created by God. So Friday, when I'm sitting at the table, that's what was going on. That all of us, because we disagree on theology or something like this, but we see the divine in each other. We see the creation of God in each other because we're all created in the image of God. And when we begin to see that, then potential, what our potential and their potential starts to transform and change because when people feel safe, they begin to change. When people feel judged, they begin to project. 
I, I can conform to what you think I should conform to. I will eliminate certain conversations out of my voice because I want to conform. Or when I'm saved, I can be open to say, this is an area that I'm struggling with. You know how many men in our society are struggling with pornography but that won't talk about it? because they're afraid to be judged and won't say anything, so they won't be accountable for it. But when they feel saved, they go, this is an area that I need to release. This is an area that's affecting my marriage. But once a person feels saved, that's where the transformation and restoration happens. We are all worthy of redemption, aren't we? We are all worthy to be restored in order to restore. We are all worthy. What you did and what I did in the past does not define who we are. Because Jesus acknowledges the divine in us, that we are his beloved child, whom he's well pleased. Look on the screen. Christ went to a great length to reach us and restore us so that we can restore each other. That's what it means to catch people. May God bless you, and may God bless his work. <laughs> Thank you.